Hey, I want you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29 if you have them with you today. Because today we embark on a brand new year of ministry, but this is not the first time that we've done this. Our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you need a Bible, just wave at them. They'll give it to you. I encourage you to have one. We're going to look at one of the most probably misrepresented verses in all the Bible today. So I'd love for you to have a Bible on your lap if you want to study Jeremiah 29 uh, with us in just a few moments. Before years ago, we set out on a journey to begin a church, and we had our very first service. And as we packed up the church, I guess packed open the church that day in Summit Lakes Middle School, uh, it was our prayer that God would show up, but we really had no guarantee that anyone was going to come outside the handful of people who had kind of helped us organize an infrastructure that would support a church. But then something happened on the very first Sunday that we ever had church that, that just allowed us to believe that God was going to be a part of what was going on. As we were setting up early that morning, one of our volunteers yelled to me and they said, Christian, you've got to come see this. And they called me out actually the, the, that back door that's in the back corner of the gym. And they said, Christian, come look at what's going on. It had been raining all morning the day of uh, our first ever day of church. It kind of rained throughout that morning. All our pictures were with umbrellas of people walking in and out. But the rain let up just a little bit that morning at about 7 a.m., 7.15 a.m., and I walked outside and there was a massive double rainbow stretching literally across Summit Lakes Middle School. And when I saw that, my heart was so immediately encouraged because my study in the book of Genesis taught me that the rainbow, the first time the rainbow appeared in scripture was after the flood, after Noah and his family got off the ark. But the rainbow is one of the most misinterpreted spiritual symbols that there is because a lot of people say when the rainbow's in the sky, God put the rainbow in the sky so we would see it and remember what happened. Really, the exact opposite is true. God told Noah and his family, I'm going to put the rainbow in the clouds. God said, so that when I see it, I'll remember that my plan from this point forward is to rescue humanity and not to punish humanity. So God said, every time you see a rainbow, you need to know I'm looking at that rainbow. So as a Christian who studied the Bible a little bit, every time I see a rainbow, I try to picture myself looking through it because I know that there are some eyes in heaven, wherever that is, looking down. And the only thing separating me from looking into the face of God is the rainbow because every time there's a rainbow, God says, I'm looking at it. So I knew on that day four years ago, God was looking at our church and his message was a message that wanted to rescue people, not punish people. So I just felt in my spirit, God gave that to us as a gift to say, listen, this is going to work. I am here. The church is my ark of today. It's what I bring people to for spiritual safety. And I see you keep going. It was so encouraging four years ago. I'll never forget that moment. So fast forward four years. September 18th of 2015 was Friday. And I'm dropping my son off at school. He goes to this school. And I'm in the car line at about 7, 10 a.m., and it was raining a little bit Friday morning. If you live in Lee Summit area, you'll remember that. And as we're pulling in to drop Christian off for school, there literally is a rainbow in the exact same location stretching across Summit Lakes. And I tapped Christian on the leg and said, get your phone and take a picture. And we took a picture and I told him that story. And I said, four years ago today at this exact moment, God put a rainbow in the sky in that exact location to let my heart know as we were starting our church that his eyes were on it. And he wanted to rescue people. And if we would open a church, he would rescue people. And I said, Christian, I feel like that rainbow, I don't know if anyone else sees it today, but I see it. And it's there because God is reminding me four years in, I still see you. I still have a plan to rescue people. Keep doing church. So I am excited. We started with nothing really more than a mission statement. And that mission statement was to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. But I can tell you four years later now, looking back on four years of church, that it's actually working. 
is actually working. It's actually happening. 700 people have made spiritual decisions since we opened the doors of our church four years ago. 175 of those have been baptized, which means they've not just shared their decision with us. They've shared their story with us and said, here's who I was and here's how Jesus came into my life and here is what's changed. We've had thousands of hours of community service given from people in our church to our community and to downtown Kansas City. We've sent 119 people out of America to go serve on the mission field from India to Africa to South Africa to Israel to Guatemala to the Dominican Republic. We've given over $400,000 away as a four-year-old church. And our projections are that before we actually move into a building, before we spend a lot of money on ourselves in a building, we will have given away more than a half million dollars for others in our community and around the world. And we've got a congregation now that has more than 500 people that attend church every Sunday. We have over 300 adults that serve at least once a month at our church. And we've got 250 adults that go to small groups at least once a month. God truly is building a congregation through Journey Church International. But we believe the best is yet to come. And one of the biggest steps for our young church in establishing what we call kind of an anchor in our community has been this building project that we've been working on for the last year. Uh, And I'm here to tell you that as of last Thursday, this Thursday, three days ago, uh, the Lee Summit City Council unanimously approved our building project, our building plan. So it is time for our church to move forward and finally build a building. We're so excited about that. We, We have been... Behind the scenes, every week, meeting and working. We got just a few kind of glimpses of the future to show you uh, as we've been working. This is kind of what you'll walk into when you walk into our church. It's kind of the, the entry area heading into the auditorium on either side. We got a little glimpse of the auditorium, kind of what it'll look like, about 350 seats in our auditorium. Um, there's our, kind of our children's worship space where they'll get to come and do their kids' worship every Sunday before breaking into their groups. And then we've got a lot of nursery classrooms. That one doesn't look very nursery-ish. Um, Um, But our nursery is actually going to have real walls that the kids can't push down, which I would assume would be better than fake walls um, that the kids can see through. But we'll we'll see. Uh, But we are so excited about the future of our church and what God is doing. And we are now just a permitting process away from putting a shovel in the ground and getting that building up. And my prayer is that this is the last anniversary we'll ever spend in this school. I love this school. I'm glad we've been here. I'm ready to go, though. So hopefully our five-year anniversary, um, we'll all show up at church at like 8 o'clock instead of 6 o'clock, and we'll do church together. Uh, On August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial Uh, And he told a crowd of more than a quarter million people that he had a dream. And he talked about his dream for America and what he would like to see happen. I'm here to tell you today kind of the exact opposite. I don't have a dream. Um, I don't have any ideas. This church is not my dream. This church is not my idea. The ministry that we're doing is not something that I have thought up because I think it'll be better for the world. I, I today don't have a dream, but I have a calling. I have a calling as a Christian, not really even a calling as a pastor. I have a calling as a Christian that I have to live out as I pursue Jesus. If you haven't already pulled your notes out, you'll see that if you're a Christian, you have a calling. Every Christian is called to passionately pursue three things according to Jesus when we look in Scripture. Every Christian is called to pursue the great commandment found in Matthew 22 where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Like, really love God well. Pursue Jesus with everything that you have. I am called to do that. If you're a Christian, you were called to do that. Because I'm a Christian, I'm called to the great commission. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, you need to go all over the world telling people about me, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, 
helping people understand who I am and how to live for me. Because I'm a Christian, I have a call to the Great Commission. If you're a Christian, you have a call to the Great Commission. And I've got a call to the Great Compassion. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, At the end times, it'll be like a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. And he said, The people who really will identify as Christians will be those people who helped hurting people and had compassion. When someone was thirsty, they gave them something to drink. When they were hungry, they gave them something to eat. When they needed clothes, they gave them clothes. When they were sick and in the hospital, they went and visited them. When they were in prison, they went and visited them. Christians will be known as those who have been compassionate to the world. So not not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. Jesus has called me to passionately pursue these things. But as a pastor, because I'm a Christian that God has called to lead people spiritually. As a pastor, I can't separate my Christian life from my Christian leadership. So the church that I lead, if I, if I have the honor of leading a church, has to be led in pursuit of the great commandment, the great commission, and the great compassion. And I believe Jeremiah 29 maybe better than any other passage in Scripture, gives us a glimpse of what life can look like, of what our future can look like, if we pursue Jesus the way that every Christian is supposed to pursue Jesus. And if you have your Bibles and you're in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, let me give you a little context, and then we're going to read together in Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet that lived in Israel. He actually lived in Jerusalem, if you can picture that geography in your head. He was left in Jerusalem when Israel was conquered by a foreign army named Babylon. It was a country named Babylon. Babylon was located 45 miles south of Baghdad, Iraq. So you, if you can picture in your head the Middle East, Jeremiah was in Jerusalem. All of his friends and countrymen and army and nobility had been transported 500 miles to the east, basically as slaves in Babylon. And as slaves in Babylon, the people were basically trying to figure out, like, do we... Do we live for God here? Now that we're not in Jerusalem, do we worship another God? Um, is God even real? Does he even care about us? They had prophets in Babylon saying, listen, don't unpack. In a couple weeks, you know, God's going to save us and we're all going to go back. When we get back to Israel, you can worship. So they were kind of on hold spiritually. And God told Jeremiah in Jerusalem, he said, write a letter to the, all the exiles and tell them, if you want to see me move in your life again, you have to live this way. In Jeremiah chapter 29, we find what I call a, a, maybe one of the greatest fortune cookie verses of the Bible. A fortune cookie verse is a verse that we pull out of the Bible and, and we like apply it to our future and we're like, this is my verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope in a future. Like every Christian claims Jeremiah 29, 11. It's their fortune cookie verse. God has great plans for my future. It's really not what that verse means. And it's one of the most conditional verses in the Bible. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that? Jeremiah says, if you do this, and if you do this, God's plan for your future looks like this. But if you take away the context of what it looks like, then probably God is not in your future. I believe God has great plans for the future of Journey Church International and for your life. But only when we meet the conditions of the promise found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 13. So read with me today, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 13. And I want to show you what I believe our future as a church can look like. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 
Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now within these few verses in Jeremiah 29, 11, we see God's plan for the future of Israel thousands of years ago. But in my opinion, we can apply this biblically to our future today. We see God speaking to a group of people, basically saying, if you will shape your life this way, regardless of where you live, if you will shape your life this way, you're going to experience tremendous blessing in your future spiritually. So what is God's plan for our church, for our future, as we celebrate our four-year anniversary and as we head into the next year of our church? I want to show you three things today that I believe God has for our church. I believe our church, number one, is called to help you make a spiritual life for yourself. That's the first thing Jeremiah told the people in verses 5 and 6. He said, you need to understand it's time to make a spiritual life for yourself. And let me say this as a backdrop before we read these verses again. The people of Israel were on hold spiritually. They weren't sure if they were supposed to lean in spiritually, lean out spiritually. They all just kind of said, we're just going to kind of tread water spiritually and wait for someone to tell us what to do. We're not going to grow. We might not decrease. We're just going to kind of hang out spiritually until someone gives us direction. And God says, settle down and make a life for yourself spiritually. Look at verses 5 and 6. God said, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. He basically said, listen, live your life. Get engaged in living your life and make a life for yourself spiritually. Now, I believe the church's greatest challenge today, my greatest challenge for you, your greatest challenge in the world, is to help people develop an increasingly spiritual life in an increasingly unspiritual world. It's our biggest challenge to help people continue to grow spiritually in a world that continues to decline spiritually. It just gets more and more difficult to live the life that Jesus wants you to because it's less accepted, it's, it's a little more antagonistic towards you, uh, maybe even there's some persecution waiting for you. It's, it's much harder to live the Christian life now where we are than it was even 50 years ago. And Israel had it even way worse than we did. The thought that Jeremiah was hearing and that God was telling Jeremiah is the people were saying, uh, we're going to live for God one day, but you can't live for God in Babylon. Like, do you know what they do in Babylon? Do you know how they worship in Babylon? Do you know the type of sin in Babylon? Like, one day we're going to live for God, but we can't live for God in Babylon. It's just too hard. And I think a lot of people think that about their life today. It's my biggest fear for our students and our student ministry. They go to school in Babylon, spiritually speaking. It's hard. It's my greatest fear for Christian businessmen and women in our church who want to go and apply great business principles in their job. You're doing business a lot of times in Babylon. It's hard to go out when we live among our neighbors and we move among our friends. It's hard to be increasingly spiritual in a culture that continues to be increasingly unspiritual because we just keep standing out more and more and more and more and more and the israelites were waiting kind of until they got to a comfortable spiritual place 
to make a spiritual life for themselves? And Jeremiah said, don't wait anymore. Right now, just make a life for yourself spiritually. There's a lot of people in our church who one day plan to start living for God. Who one day plan to start reading their Bible. They fully intend on it. Who one day plan to start praying. It's in their future. Who one day have a habit that they're, they're not going to do anymore. Who one day are going to get real committed to serving and helping. Who one day are going to invite a friend to church. Who one day are going to start giving in the offering. L- let me ask you, when is one day going to become two day? Like right now. Jeremiah said, quit talking about one day and make it two day. Right now, start making a spiritual life for yourself. It would have been really difficult to live for God in Babylon. It would have almost been desperation. But do you know that I believe desperate Christianity is often the deepest Christianity? I believe a lot of times when our souls are the most desperate, our relationship with God is the deepest. And I experienced this. I didn't realize I'd experienced this, but I experienced this six years ago when God really began to lay on my heart that there was something more for me. I was at a church growth conference in Seoul, South Korea. And I'm sitting at a Bible study in South Korea in the largest church of the world, a church that had over 800,000 members, that a Thursday morning, 10.30 a.m. Bible study, and 10,000 people showed up at it. And they let the pastors from around the world sit in the balcony and watch the Bible study. And I'm watching this thing that's in South Korean. I can understand some of the songs, not the words, but the, the tune. It's like, okay, I know what that song is. So it didn't have a lot of translation. But I'm watching these people basically take an extended lunch break, 10.30 to noon, to come to a Bible study, And they worshipped more passionately, they prayed more passionately, they gave more passionately. They were more engaged than any Christian I had ever seen anywhere in my life. And not just one of them, like 10,000 of them. I'd never seen anything like it. And at the end of the service, they brought out this this massive looking symbol thing that kind of looked like a gong. I don't know if you've ever seen the the gong show. But they brought this thing out and the pastor at the end of the service, he said, let's pray like, like we do. Like some of you actually bowed your head because you weren't paying attention. You heard me say, I thought, man, we're done already. Like, no, the, the pastor said to the people, he said, let's pray. So when he said, let's pray, in America, when you say, let's pray, everybody kind of bows their head and the pastor prays and so forth. Guy says, let's pray. And 10,000 people started praying, like out loud, at once, with the fervency that I can only describe as how I would pray if my son or my daughter were laying, dying in front of me. That's the, that's the only time I could ever see myself praying like they were all praying at the same time. And I remember just, like, I just started crying. Like, I was so overwhelmed, and I thought, I've never seen Christianity that looks like this, but I want to. Like, this is, this is what I want. This is different. If I was ever a pastor, I would want people that look like this, because, like, these people have got something going on with God. Six years later, fast forward, and I'm sitting in a staff meeting a few weeks ago, talking to our new kids director, Stephanie Ward. If you haven't met Stephanie, she's awesome. She ever sees our kindergarten through sixth grade. And she is from South Korea. Her grandmother's lived there all her life. Her mom was born and raised in South Korea. Stephanie was born here. But she talked about her grandmother's faith the other day in our team meeting. And she said, in Korea, she said, they still have a wartime Christianity. And I stopped her and I said, what does that, what does that mean, wartime Christianity? She said, well, like literally everyone in South Korea who is a Christian, any Christian heritage came between World War II and the Korean War when literally there were bombs dropping everywhere and everyone gave their life to Jesus in the midst of war. And she said there was this desperation that probably life was going to be over soon. You could have your property taken from you. Husbands and dads were going to war and dying. And she said like there was nothing for these people but Jesus and they clung to Jesus in desperation during the war. And she said it just stuck. 
And she said, now generations of South Koreans are grasping Jesus. And the only way they know how to follow Jesus is in the desperation of he is the only thing in life and there's nothing more. And I said, that's what I saw. I saw a bunch of desperate Christians who appeared to be the deepest Christians I had ever seen in my life. And in the midst of war, they decided to make a life for themselves spiritually. Listen, if you and I, even in the midst of an American culture that's probably trending unspiritual, not spiritual, if you and I would become comfortable and confident in who Jesus is to us and in us, We can make a spiritual life for ourselves regardless of the world around us, regardless of how the people at your work treat you, regardless of how the people in your family treat you, regardless of how the people in your schools and on your sports teams look at you, regardless of what your neighbors think of you. If we will become comfortable and confident in who Jesus is to us and in us and just say, I'm going to live for Jesus and make a spiritual life for myself right here, right now, regardless of who the Supreme Court is, regardless of who's running the White House, regardless of who's running Capitol Hill, none of that matters. All of those guys are a thousand times better than the guys who were running Babylon thousands of years ago. Just make a spiritual life for yourself and connect to Jesus. That's what Jeremiah said. Make a spiritual life for yourself now. So we as a church are trying to help people make a spiritual life for themselves. But that's hard. Do you know studies have been done that say adults, once they graduate from college, once they're done with their last bit of education, you know adults can only learn two things, most adults. Most adults only have the ability to learn two things after they have finished their education. They can learn what they want to know, and they can learn what they need to know. That's it. Those are the only two things that adults learn once they're done with education. What they want to know and what they need to know. So regardless of what I stand up here and say, if you don't want to know it or need to know it, you don't care and you don't even learn it or process it. But adults have two learning languages once they get done with education. What they want to know, what they need to know. So as a church, we have to ask ourselves, what does our community want to learn? What do they need to learn spiritually? And how can we offer that to them so they can begin living their spiritual life? We know that we live in a community that wants to know and needs to know how to have great marriages and how to have healthy families. We actually have some people in our church who would give anything to know that. How do I have a healthy marriage? We know that people in our community need to know and want to know what is the meaning of life or the purpose of life beyond the monotonous routine of every day. We know that people in our community want to know and need to know how to have inner peace or how to have healing from years of emotional scars on our backs. We know people in our community need relational direction and wisdom in healing in their marriages and in just relationships with people. So as a church, if we can offer people spiritual life in those areas, we believe they'll come because they want and need to know about those areas in our life. We believe people need answers. I believe there's thousands of people in our community who would maybe come closer to Jesus if you could answer their questions and tell them just, instead of just saying, just trust me, It's why we're having Bob Cornuke on on October 11th. Because he has looked at the Bible through the lens of a former crime scene investigator and said, could this possibly be true? And if it's true, there has to be evidence. And he's gone in search of it. And he's found it in many places. He's going to come tell us about the four anchors that he has found exactly where the Bible says the Apostle Paul's ship cut four anchors 2,000 years ago. He's going to tell us about the trips he's made to find Mount Sinai based on information from the Bible. He's taken expeditions with some of the world's greatest Bible scholars and archaeologists to find Noah's Ark based on information from the Bible. He's now looking for the... Ta- the, the, the uh, um, 
the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant because he believes the Bible's given direction on where it may be located. Just as a crime scene investigator kind of turned archaeologist, he said, if this is true, facts will bear it out. So on October 11th, we want you to come not just to get answers, but we want you to invite people who, if they had answers, might follow Jesus. We believe that people need recovery from addiction and from pain and from grief. So we plan, once we have a building, to start a Celebrate Recovery ministry to train people, to counsel people in our community who need recovery help. We believe that people in our community, we know one of the greatest stresses in Lee Summit, Missouri, is financial stress. So we look forward to training and hosting Financial Peace University at our campus so that people from our community can come and get the financial help and direction they need with biblical centering. We want to open up a counseling center in our church one day. We want to partner with a Christian counselor and say, We're not counselors, but you are, and we have a place. And you can use our church for free because people in our community need solid biblical counseling. Just please come and set up shop here and help us counsel people in our community. We believe people want biblical understanding. So we're thinking about how we can get key discipleship and biblical teaching passed. We believe that people want to have discussions about spiritual things. So we want to be able to host things like the Alpha Course, where people can come in who are brand new, maybe to Christianity or things of faith, and be able to ask questions without debate or without being judged, and just be able to kind of walk slowly into Christianity. We believe we can help people begin living their spiritual life now. Even in a culture that's trending away from spiritual things, we believe our church can help people begin living their spiritual life now. Secondly, we believe that JCI is called to help people make a better life for their community. Jeremiah spoke into the people of Israel, and this is one of the forgotten verses of Jeremiah chapter 29, and looking at what God has for us, We often miss what God has for us to do for others. But look at Jeremiah 29, 7. The people of Israel went to this godless country called Babylon that they hated and they assumed God hated and that God wanted to destroy. But here's what God said about Babylon in Jeremiah 29 and 7. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God said, I understand you're living in a godless place. What do you want me to do? Burn it to the ground? Why don't you pray for it and try to help it? Why don't instead of complaining about it, you just get engaged to make it better? God always wanted his people to be aware and active in meeting the spiritual and physical needs of the world around him. And he said, look at the world you live in and pray for it. And figure out how to make it prosper. Figure out how to make it better. So we believe our church has been called to partner with the difference makers in our community. Who can't our community live without. And when we look at the Lee Summit community, I've lived here almost five years now, there are some organizations that I don't believe our community could live without, frankly, that I don't believe any community in America can live without. The first is the public school system. When you look at the backbone of any community, you see the educational system. So I believe as a church, we have to figure out how to be the very best partners of the public school system because they have the hearts and lives of the families in their hands. And if we can help them, they will help people. I look at the local law enforcement agencies. And I don't know about you, but I would not want to live in a community where law enforcement has no reign. And every now and then we see glimpses of that across our country where kind of the the law just goes out of the window. And that's a scary place to live. 
So I think we've got to find a way as a church to sit down with the police chief and say, how can we serve you? We understand you serve our community. How can we serve you? I look at our fire departments and our EMS and EMT services, and I would not want to live in a community that didn't have fire departments and paramedics that were helping. So I think we've got to figure out how to go to the fire chief and say, how can our church serve you. I think as a church, we've got to be intimately connected with Lee Summit Social Services, those who are aware of the greatest hurting people in our community and outreach ministries that exist to make sure that no one goes underwater permanently. And we've got to say, how can we help you? We are a church. We're going to be a church. We're going to do church better than we do anything else. But I think as a church, our church should be the greatest servant of our schools, of our law enforcement, of our fire departments, of our local social services, and we ought to let them know we exist to serve you. Because God has called us to make this community better, and you have the deepest roots in this community, so how can we help you? So we are taking 2016 to figure out our strategy, to meet with the school board, to meet with the police chief, to meet with the fire chief, to meet with the social services department, say, what can our church do to make Lee Summit better for the people in our community? We want to develop a church and a people who do this, but not just for us. When you look at our community, do you know that our community doesn't look like our church? Go watch a junior high football game on a Tuesday afternoon or show up at a volleyball game or head out to Legacy Park on a Saturday morning and and watch baseball or softball or soccer. You know, I look at our church and I think one of the greatest things that our church lacks right now is a diverse congregation. I look at our church and our church does not look like our community. For the most part, our church looks like each other. So we're praying as our church moves forward that God will help us have a diverse elder team. We're praying that God will send us people from all backgrounds, nations, and races to help lead our church. We're praying that God will help us develop a diverse staff team so that the people preaching to you and teaching to you and leading worship won't all look the same, but like heaven will be this massive mix of racial diversity, worshiping Jesus and living spiritual life together. We're praying our small groups and our kids' ministry will look different than the way we look, but it'll look like our community, a bunch of different types of people living together and doing life together because churches are supposed to make their communities better and we've got to be a place where everyone in the community feels welcome and feels like they're a part of but the primary purpose isn't just to build a church as a matter of fact the primary purpose of developing spiritual leaders in the new testament was actually to send people out not gather them together the primary reason of developing anyone spiritually wasn't to build a crowd that hung out together but it was to send them out In John 20, 21, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we believe God is calling us to be a church that sends people and sends resources, not just out on mission trips, but we really believe the heart of our church and the legacy of our church as we understand how Christianity is supposed to be lived is we believe God wants us to plant other churches. And I'm not talking about satellite locations that watch me on a screen. I'm talking about our church finding pastors and ministry staffs and sending them to different parts of our community to start churches that will be a part of our organizations but will kind of operate on their own as a church. It's our prayer that by our seventh anniversary, so three years from now, we will have planted our first church and that God will raise up a 100 people in our church to say, I want to go start another one. I like Journey, and I like what we're doing, but we're kind of in a building now, and it's boring, and I want to go, I want to go try to start another one. We're, you know, maybe you're not here today. That's okay. We need God to send us those hundred between now and three years from now. 
We're praying that by our 10-year anniversary, we will plant our second church. So by the, the time we're 10 years old, we will have three churches. And then every five years, our plan is that those three churches will reproduce. So at 15 years, we'll be six churches. At 20 years, we'll be 12 churches. And at our silver anniversary, 25 years, we could be an organization of 25 churches all over Jackson County, Lafayette County, Cass County, reaching into communities, not just to have services on Sunday, but to serve the schools in all those areas, to connect with law enforcement agencies and to serve them, to connect with the fire departments and the EMS and the EMT services, to connect with the social services and and let a network of churches who love Jesus and who love people and who want to help people blanket the community that we live in with the care of who Jesus is. This is who we want to be to make our community a better place. So Christian, you think it's going to be hard? Yes. Does it scare you? Yes. But I believe God has called us to it. So I think if we put that on the radar, maybe we'll get there one day. But none of it will happen, number three. None of it will happen without a bunch of individuals who seek to know God with all their heart. And I think this is maybe the greatest missing piece of those who have claimed Jeremiah 29, 11 is your life verse, had it tattooed, put it on a bumper, stick it, hung it up in your house. God said to Jeremiah, he said, tell the people, the future is going to be great, but it's going to have to look like this. And the last part of it, verse 13, was this. He said, tell the people they will seek me and they will find me when they seek me with all of their hearts. Do you know the greatest way for us to deeply impact the world? The greatest way for you to deeply impact the world in the future is to let Jesus deeply impact you in the present. Like there's no us changing the world without Jesus changing us. It it works that way first. And a lot of us in here, we seek Jesus like my son plays hide-and-seek. Christian's 14 now. But I used to love watching he and Casey, my daughter, play hide-and-seek when they were little. Because Casey would count to 10, and then she would, look for Christian, she, would, she would look for Christian for hours in every nook and cranny of the house. When it was Casey's turn to hide, Christian would count to 10, 1, 2, 3, 5, 7, 9, 10, ready or not, here I come. I don't see her, and he'd sit down and watch TV. And like she would just stay hidden for like an hour, like by herself. He's just hanging out watching TV. That's how a lot of you seek God spiritually. You're like, yeah, I want to seek God. One, two, three, okay, okay, God, ready or not, here I come. And you're like, I don't know, I don't see God right now. I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to what I was doing. I'm going to go back to my job. I'm going to seek God for a day. Oh, but he didn't come through. I'm going to seek God for a week. I'm going to seek God for a month. I'm going to seek God for a season. But eventually I'm going to get back to my thing. And God says, no. When you will seek me until you find me, and you'll look in every bedroom, and you'll look in every closet, and you'll look under the beds, and you'll look in the bathrooms in the bathtub, when you won't just look in the garage, but you open up the cars and see if we're hiding in the cars, when you look in the cabinets that are large enough for me to fit in, like when you really seek for me, and you don't stop until you find me, you'll find me. But we see when we look at Scripture, God says, you want a great future, you want a great hope, you want great prospects, you can't quit seeking me. You've got to come after me. So my story, pastoring this church, is my story of what God has done in me spiritually. Because as I've tried to follow God's call for my life, His call always comes back to what's wrong with me and what needs fixing. I remember in October of 2009 when God really laid on my heart that I was supposed to start a church. I started thinking about what that meant for me as a Christian. And I remember God say, I I want you to start a church, but you're not ready to be a pastor because you don't even read your Bible every day. And I remember in November of 2009, in October, God said, here's the big plan, but here's what's wrong with you. 
And in November of 2009, I committed to get very faithful in my time with God. And I thought, God, if I'm going to lead people spiritually, I've got to be intimately connected to you. So I had to change that before I could become a pastor. Once God kind of got that right in my life, in January 2010, God started talking to me about my personal finances. And he said, Christian, you'll never be able to make this leap unless you're willing, one, to give away everything, sell your house, your cars, give it all away. And unless you're willing to figure out how not to live on credit cards, how to get rid of your debt, and how to just live at a level much lower than you've been living. If you will not figure out your finances, you have no future. So I remember Danielle and I tackling our finances in January 2010. I remember in the summer of 2010, getting to the point where we were about a year away and we looked at each other and said, you know, we're not ready as a married couple. Like, like I can preach, but I'm not a good enough husband. I, I can't tell the people in the church, love your wife like I love my wife. And Danielle was like, I'm not ready to be a pastor's wife. Our marriage is not where it needs to be. So as we pursued God's call, God had to do some work in our marriage in the fall of 2010. We sold our house and we moved to a new community and we put our kids in a new school and God showed us that we had to parent different in order to follow him and we had to parent better. I remember at Thanksgiving 2010, building this infrastructure and this plan for a church that would serve people and God saying, when's the last time you served anyone anything? And I thought, you're right. How can I start a church that serves people? And I went and found a place to serve Thanksgiving dinner to folks who didn't have any that year. And then May came around and the tornado hit Joplin in May of 2011. And I remember we took our team, we had like 15, 18 people in our church and we took them all to Joplin, filled up a U-Haul full of supplies and went and served for two days. Just God working in me to say, you have to become different if you want to lead people differently. And then in April 2012, we'd had a church for nearly a year and I'd been talking about Journey Church International and how we're going to make an impact on the world. And God said, you've never even gone on a mission trip. Like if you're not going to be a hypocrite, you probably ought to get a passport and go serve someone overseas. And God, every time I try to reach out and follow what God's calling me to do, the answer always ends up being yes, but what's next? It always ends up with me on a personal journey trying to find God in a new area of my life that's not yet where it needs to be personally. And here's the deal. I really don't want a church full of people that want to change the world. I want a church full of people who want God to change their world. Because when you have a church full of people not pursuing change in the world, but pursuing change in themselves, if you have a group of people that actually ever finds God as they seek Him, God will say, great, here's your mission. Great commandment, great commission, great compassion. Learn to love me with everything you have. Learn to go reach other people and serve them. Learn to find hurting people and help them. See, if we will pursue God and catch him, we will fulfill God's mission for our life. But if it's all about other people, we might miss what God wants to do in us. So we've got this massive vision to help people start their spiritual life right now. We've got this massive calling to to make life better for our community. We've got this challenge to seek God. Well, we've got this name on the end of our church that says international. And it confuses a lot of people. But it's because I believe God called us specifically to make sure we were a church that served the world. And when I first started the church, my goal was that our church would plant churches in every populated continent in the world. That we would have a Journey Church Australia, Journey Church Africa, Journey Church Europe, Journey Church Asia, Journey Church Israel, Journey Church Central America, Journey Church South America. That we, that we, would, that we would be represented as churches every place. But then I went to those places. I thought, man, they don't need churches. I mean, that, that's actually easy. They do. They need Jesus. But they don't have any water. They don't have any food. They don't have any education. They don't have any protection. They don't have any houses. 
they, they don't have the ability to take care of themselves. And I realized what was needed overseas weren't just churches, but communities. Communities birthed out of the gospel of who Jesus was and how Jesus loved people. Now that Jesus, I don't know that one church can adopt a community on every continent on planet Earth. I, I don't know that we can do that. God, I don't, even, I don't even know that we can do more than one. We can try to do one and do it well. And I would rather as a church, I'd rather go one place 25 times in 25 different places one time. So as a congregation, I hope we're going to find our spot and we haven't yet that needs our help and we're going to establish a community in Jesus' name. But I felt like the vision was backing up because I thought, Lord, what about the rest of the world? I I felt God speak to me this week and say, wait a minute. If you have 12 churches in 20 years and all of them have one place on planet Earth that adopts a community in Jesus' name, you actually have more than one on every continent. You're not backing up, you're moving forward. If you're willing to live open-handed, keep giving away people, keep giving away staff, keep giving away money, keep launching new churches that exist to serve their communities and the world, you're going to have way more than what you thought. It's going to be more than churches. You're going to develop communities that need all that Jesus can do them, do for them. But it begins with all of us like the people in Jeremiah's day, deciding to settle in. It depends on us complaining less about our culture and just embracing our place in it. It calls for all of us thinking less about how we're not taken care of and recognizing the care that we can give for other people. And it calls for all of us letting our lives be spiritual lives in an unspiritual place where we're playing a game of hide and seek with God where we never sit down until we have found him. And I believe we can do it together. And I believe if our church ends up being a collection of individuals who individually are pursuing God, but we kind of corporately do it together, I believe God can use our church to greatly impact our world. I believe if we do these things that our future is a future of hope. I believe that if we do these things, that our future is a future that has prosperity spiritually. I believe if we do these things, we won't have a future filled with harm, but it'll be filled with protection and filled with who God wants to be, not just in us, but in our world. But it will take a large group of people committing to be great commandment, great commission, great compassion Christians and moving together intentionally over time to see God change our world. You know, there's Sundays that I leave and Danielle and I are heading to lunch with one a couple Sundays ago where I just look at her and I say, I can't believe the people are still coming. Like, I, you know, I can't believe it actually works. Like, you know, I, I remember four years ago thinking, what if no one comes? And then the second Sunday thinking, what if nobody comes back? And it took me a couple years where, like, I actually went to bed on Saturday and I thought there will be someone at church. Like, there'll be at least one person there tomorrow. But I still kind of laugh when I hear stories of our people that think it's working. And when I think about our church at 10 years having three churches, that sounds, sound, to me it sounds crazy. But what if it works? Like what if, what if it works? What if God does that for us? When I think about our church at 15 years having six churches around our city, 12 at 20 years, 25 at 25 years, that sounds crazy. But what if it works? What if God really does that because a few individuals are ready to lean in and give God everything and be spiritual people in an unspiritual way? What if it works? Then at 55 or 60, we're going to look at our kids and our grandkids' generation. We're going to hand them the keys to our ministry organization. We're going to say, your turn. You take it the rest of the way. Five years, there should be 50. 
Ten years, there should be a hundred. Just keep going. Love God. Love Him passionately. Love people. God put you here to love people. Help people. What if that could be the legacy of our church because a few individuals decided to make the legacy of their life to be great commandment, great commission, great compassion Christians? Would you stand with me as we pray?